electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, one of the voices behind the CNBC podcast Squawk Pod. In these times of uncertainty, we want to make sure we're bringing you, our listeners, as much information as possible as quickly as we can. That's why we're sharing with you now a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. Listen in. I'm Tyler Matheson on day 186 of the coronavirus crisis. On the eve of the holiday weekend, cases hit a new record in the United States as fear grows this weekend could make things worse. Make no mistake, we are still in a public health emergency. On the eve of the 4th of July weekend, is this country about to see super spreading? COVID-19 is not going away. Things in already hard hit Texas get worse. Scores of hospital employees contract the virus. Also from the Lone Star State, bar owners sue. One of the women behind it is here tonight. And the mask test, which work best and which leak the most germs. This CNBC special starts right now. Here's Tyler Matheson. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you could join us tonight on a Thursday night as we head into the long weekend. New concerns around the pandemic, however, as the country readies to celebrate the Independence Day, 4th of July. More than 50,000 new cases were reported Wednesday. That was a new record. Could we see another surge following the holiday weekend? Dr. Scott Gottlieb Gottlieb is a CNBC contributor and the former FDA commissioner. Dr. Gottlieb, welcome back once again. Talk to us a little bit. Explain what we're facing this weekend. Well, look, things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, There is the potential that this weekend, as people start to uh, congregate into groups, that you're going to have more spreading. We know that a lot of the spread that we're seeing now is probably traced back to Memorial Day. These cases didn't happen in the last couple of weeks. They've been building over a period of time of a month or six weeks. And probably some of it, some of these changes of transmission that we're seeing right now, those sparks were lit around Memorial Day. So certainly you have the potential as people come together in groups, um, congregate in social settings, that you could have more spread over July 4th. So people need to be very prudent, recognize that there's an epidemic underway and take more precautions. Move activities outside. Try to limit your social interactions. Don't congregate indoors where we know there's higher risk of spread. And just generally be more um, vigilant and also wear masks when you're out. Uh, The steps today by the governor of Texas to require masks in public spaces in counties where there are cases I think was very smart, something that we should have done. And hopefully this is a tipping point. We'll see more states start to implement these universal mask requirements. It's the least thing that we can do, the least intrusive thing that we can do to try to control an epidemic that's now underway across the Sun Belt. A lot of the places that uh, uh, 
maybe were not hit early in the pandemic across the American South, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, have been hit lately. They didn't have the strictest uh, uh, measures in place on Memorial Day. As you point out, uh, Governor Abbott in Texas has just uh, ordered a, a face covering uh, mandate in that state. Are you hopeful that maybe people are going to pay more attention this holiday than they did back in Memorial Day on Memorial Day? Well, I think that they will. I think Memorial Day really happened just as we reopened and it was sort of pent up demand to try to mm -hmm. get out, try to get back to some semblance of normal. I think people now recognize that there's a higher risk here and you're going to see more vigilance. What we need is a collective action of everyone just taking steps in their personal lives to try to reduce their risk of spread. That's what's ultimately going to turn a tide in this epidemic, because the policy action so far, while you have seen policy steps taken, it's not forceful enough to really break the epidemic that's underway and break the trends that are underway. And what's most concerning when you look at these states, you look at Texas, Florida, isn't just the new cases that we're seeing, but the rising hospitalization. So people are getting sick. It's not just younger people getting the infection and they're not becoming ill. We're seeing significant hospitalizations in cities in Texas. Uh, Miami-Dade reported well over 1,000 hospitalizations, current hospitalizations. And so this is deeply concerning, these rising hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to a couple of things. One, th one of the things, one thing that you said and one thing that the president said in the past couple of days, he was uh, criticized for saying that perhaps by the end of the year uh, or over the coming months, this virus could disappear. You said earlier today in either, I believe it was on our air, maybe not, that potentially we've got five or six more hard months here, but maybe by January we will have seen the worst of it and it will be partly in our rearview mirror. Will you explain why you feel that way? Well, one of two things is going to happen before the end of the year. Either, And we have six hard months of, ahead of us. I think in the Northeast, maybe July and August will be quiescent, but it's going to pick back up. And one of two things is going to happen, or really three things. Either we control the spread of this through the end of the year, and then we get to a vaccine, which I think is an early 2021 event. We, we inoculate the population. We get past... The, the sort of peak phase of COVID, if you will. It's still a threat, but we dissipate it with a vaccine. Or we continue to see spread like we're seeing right now, and we just get to herd immunity because so many people have been infected. Now, that path has a lot of death and disease along the way. Um, there's no way that we're going to get to herd immunity with a lot more hardship on the American people. So I hope that's not the path we end up down. But over the next six months, one of those two things is going to happen. Either we're going to get to a vaccine and we're going to do it in a fashion where we can control spread and try to limit the amount of death and disease that we see, or we're just going to get to herd immunity before we get to a vaccine. If we continue on our current trend, though, if the infections don't get worse, but they don't get any better, we're going to get to herd immunity just by the natural progression of this virus, because the doubling time right now is every 30 days. Probably 7 or 10 percent of the population has been infected right now, at least 7 percent. And if the doubling times every 30 days, you start to get the herd immunity when you reach sort of 40 percent of the population being infected, which we'll be at before the end of the year if we don't get this under control. But as you said there, there could be a lot of sickness and a lot of death accompanying that if that is the progression that, that plays out as, as you make a strong case that it should or will be. You, you mentioned earlier masks and Texas becoming the latest to order face coverings in public places tonight. We have incredible video from a study by Florida Atlantic University showing which masks specifically are the best and worst. Here's Andrea Day. 
Researchers at Florida Atlantic University used a laser to map droplets projected out of a mannequin's mouth. They wanted to test the effectiveness of four different masks. First, here's what a simulated cough looks like with no mask. Droplets travel more than eight feet, and in under a minute, they moved out to 12 feet from the mannequin's mouth. Same test with a single layer bandana, where droplets traveled more than three feet. A folded handkerchief fared better. This time, droplets travel just over a foot. Now for an off-the-shelf cone-shaped mask. Droplets only went eight inches. And next, a homemade mask with two layers of cotton quilting, which turns out to be the big winner. Droplets only traveled two and a half inches. I'm Andrea Day, CNBC. Let's bring back Dr. Gottlieb. Dr. Gottlieb, I know it is really the topic of conversation, believe it or not, in 2020 around dinner tables. What kind of mask works best? Here's the cloth mask, New York Giants, that my son wears. Here is a, a regular paper procedural mask that you can buy by the box uh, in, in a CVS or any store like that. Which one do you favor? Well, look, a, a high-quality um, cloth mask is effective, and quality does matter. I think CDC should start putting out more granular information about the quality of masks. But a multiply mask, a cloth mask, is going to be more effective than probably a paper math, mask and certainly a thin um, cloth mask, like a, just a simple bandana. If you can get your hands on an N95 mask, that's going to be best. That's about 96% effective. A level 3 surgical mask, so a high-quality surgical mask, is about 69 70% effective. Um, those simple paper masks that you find maybe on Amazon.com that are sort of dust masks, those aren't terribly effective, and they might be less effective than a high-quality cloth mask. There are recommendations online now from credible sites that you can go to that give guidance on what a better cloth mask is if you can't get your hands on a surgical mask or an N95 mask. But those are available now. They're expensive. They're 5 to $8 for an N95 mask, but they are available to consumers so especially for consumers that are at risk, older individuals, people with medical conditions that put them at risk, if they can get their hands on those masks, uh, I would recommend that. There is a lot of supply available. Doctors are still having trouble getting supply in certain settings, but it's not because there isn't supply. It's because the supply is not, just, not always getting to where it needs to be. But there are some sites selling them directly to consumers right now. I got a couple of N95s a couple of weeks ago at a hardware store in my town. Are those masks, the N95s or the surgical quality ones, one use and done, or can you reuse them? And then what about if I have a cloth mask, do I need to wash it every single day or what? You can reuse the N95 masks and you can reuse your cloth mask. I would recommend washing it. You don't have to wash it every day. But if you're out in crowds and you think you've been exposed, it's prudent to wash it. Be mindful of the N95 masks that have the two-way valve on it because that's providing protection to you. But when you exhale, that's not providing protection to people around you. And a lot of people recognize that. And in some settings, those are actually banned for that reason. So a lot of the industrial masks have, that are N95 have those two-way valves because someone who's using it in an industrial setting is wearing the mask all day. And that makes it easier to breathe through over a prolonged period of time. So what you mm -hmm. want to look for are the N95 masks that don't have those valves on them. Dr. Gottlieb, one final question. What do you say to individuals who view mask wearing as an infringement on their liberty? Look, what I would say is that we're going to have to do something to get this epidemic under control and try to preserve the things that are most important to us, which is sending our kids to school, trying to restart our businesses. If a large percentage of the population wore masks, we could probably get to a point where we could safely do those other things that are very important to us. This is a small 
price for us to pay, a small sacrifice to make collectively as a population for a short period of time. We're really just talking about the next four to six months wearing a mask to try to preserve the things that are most important to us. And that's really what's going to help us preserve our liberty, sending our kids to school, running our businesses, engaging in, the, in economic activity. Wearing a mask is a small infringement. It, I think it's something that we have to collectively think long and hard about doing for one another. Scott Gottlieb, thank you so much. Great to be with you as always. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, because of the dangerous spike in Texas, bars in Texas once again shut down now a second time because of the coronavirus crisis. But bar owners are not taking this lying down. They are now suing to stop the closures. T. Allen Parker is one of the leaders of the bar owners. She's live at the Machine Shed Bar and Grill in Kilgore, Texas. T. Allen, welcome. Uh, to ha We're delighted you could join us tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, T, you, you had almost perfect bad luck. You opened this establishment, what, in late February, a couple of weeks before this pandemic hit? That's correct. Two weeks. How many employees did you have and did you have to lay them all off? Well, between our bar and grill and our small cafe in uh, White Oak, Texas, we had about 21 employees. And yes, we had to lay them all off. Have you had, um, and since the reopening, this was obviously a dream of yours. I know the backstory. Uh, you came up uh, the hard way and really earned uh, what, you've, what you've got. And this is, this is sort of the culmination of that. So we all feel for you. Uh, since the reopening, have any of your workers or any of your patrons, to your knowledge, tested positive? Not one. No one. Not one. And so... Not Does that figure into your feeling that you, not just your bar, but that bar owners generally are being singled out unfairly by the Texas rules uh, promulgated by the governor when other establishments like uh, nail salons, hair salons, um, uh, places of worship are able to host gatherings of people? Is that really the heart of your argument? More, more of the heart of my, yes, yes. But um, we, we've been able to practice safely. We have our tables actually spaced out eight feet apart. We have hand sanitizer, disinfectants. We have all those things. And my bar is also a restaurant. It's not just a bar. And he closed us down over 1%. Um, my argument is why in July are they still allowing their Republican convention? I mean, hundreds of people are going to be there but I can't run a bar at 50%, which is no more than 91 people, why I can't do that. He closed this down on 50. He says, if you are 51% alcohol, that's 1% over food, he said yesterday on a news channel that his argument was this. He said, it's been proven that you can walk into a restaurant with a mask on, and he said this while he wasn't wearing a mask. And you can sit down and you can stay put and you can safely eat your food and that there's no COVID spike related or connected to the restaurant. But it has been proven that you can walk in a bar and that you have to pull your mask down to sip your drink. Well, I just want to know how all these folks that are going to these restaurants that are overcrowded, by the way, are eating their food if they don't take their mask down. That's his argument. Do you feel... Do you feel that you have been given by the state 
the kind of data that would back up the governor's argument? Or do you just say we haven't you haven't shown us any data that proves that that the spike in cases in Texas, which is truly dire, as you must uh, concede, um, uh, is traceable uh, to behaviors in, in, in drinking and in eating establishments? Have you gotten the evidence that you need? Nothing. He has not provided anything to any Texan that backs up what he's saying. If he would back it up with some actual data, I might feel a little different. He said in a news article that cities and counties told him that the COVID spike is related to bars. Well, I want to know this. Where did they go before they went to that bar? Did they go to Walmart? Did they, I mean, I don't even go to Walmart. It's so crowded, it terrifies me. Did they go, did they go to church? Did they stop at their sister's house? Did they go to a convenience store and get gas? How is he going to prove that? What he's doing is he's putting it back on the cities and counties because what he doesn't really want to say is, oh my, you guys, I am so sorry, my fellow Texans, but I opened this state too soon because I wanted to get on national TV and I wanted to get some attention. It was political. He opened this up too soon. I'll say that with my businesses closed. And now that there's a spike, he's putting it back on the cities. He's putting it back on the counties so that they can be the bad ones. It, 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 he needs to well, be responsible. He, and the last thing, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, he has said, if I could go back and redo anything, it would probably be to have slowed down the opening of bars. So he's conceded that he made uh, a, a premature decision, right? He didn't know. No, he said I would slow down the opening of bars. He didn't say, hey, we're not going to pack 500 people into a church because they have a religious right and they are protected under it. He didn't say let's not have rallies. There were 60,000 people, 60,000 people counted, if not more, walking down the streets of Houston for a funeral. May God rest his soul that, in my opinion, he was murdered. But there were 60,000 people, and they didn't stop them, and they didn't make them wear masks. And he was okay with that. But I can't question my Quick question for you. Quick question for you, and we have to move uh, move forward here, T. Uh, Do you wear a mask, and what do you think of the governor's uh, requirement today that masks be worn in public? Well, I will tell you that my attorney, Jared Woodfield, who filed suit against the governor on my behalf, I've been fighting with uh, we, I've been working with Jared since April, and he's never, ever going to fight. As we speak, he's filing a new lawsuit on the governor under my behalf, under my behalf for, um, for telling me that I have to wear a mask. So as we speak, he, right. he's at his desk. Um, this is what I saw about the mask. I feel it's an individual choice, and I feel if you want to wear a mask and it makes you feel safe and protected, I think you should be allowed to do that. And I feel if you don't want to wear the mask, then you should not be forced to wear one. I do not wear a mask. I have a medical condition. I have it in writing. The mask would keep me from breathing. It's not safe for me to wear the mask, but that doesn't mean I don't think you should wear the mask. Well, T. Allen, we wish you good luck with your business, and uh, you've made your case very forcefully, and uh, we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was, that was T. Allen Parker, uh, uh, one of the Texas bar owners suing Governor Abbott. Well, Dr. Anthony Harris is the chief innovation officer at WorkCare. It is a workplace healthcare advisory company. He advises business on how to stay open safely during this pandemic. Uh, welcome. Good to have you with us, uh, Dr. Harris. 
Tell me, uh, I'm not sure I'm hearing your, uh, your side of the conversation um, at all here. Let's see. Okay. Uh, good to be with yeah, you, Tyler. Sorry about that. There. Now I've got you. Now I've got you. I assume you heard our prior conversation there. Obviously, uh, this is a business a woman who has spent her life trying to scrape together the money to open a bar and grill, and now she sees her mm -hmm. dreams being pulled out from under her because mm -hmm. a, a governor and the government of the state has decided to shut down uh, you know, drinking establishments again. What do you say to her? You know, I, I, as an entrepreneur myself, I uh, started multiple businesses, I, you know, I feel her pain, right? Uh, you, you invest your time, your effort, your blood, your sweat, your tears to bring something to fruition and you see patrons enjoying it. Um, and then uh, COVID happened, right? And so one of the things that we've been doing at WorkCare is helping businesses like hers um, be safe in terms of reopening. Right. And so I would suggest that uh, we can kind of flip the script in terms of how we look at keeping the public safe uh, as a means to bring in more customers. Right. Um, if we're able to uh, put a plan in place that one keeps the employees safe of the establishment uh, and then on top of that, uh, offer a plan that actually uh, keeps the patrons safe. We call it COVID clear zone. And it's something we've laid out because we've been doing this uh, since uh, February, frankly, with large organizations uh, to help their employees and to help those patrons that uh, uh, need to come through the door. Obviously, in a case like in Texas, where the governor has uh, come out and said uh, drinking establishments have to close if they make more than 51 percent of their revenue through uh, alcohol sales, uh, it's pretty mm -hmm. clear cut. You open and you function under penalty of law uh, and you get a summons and a fine and you have to go to court and so forth. But let's 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 get over the over the mountain here and talk about the reopening phase, because it will certainly come. What data do do establishment owners need to know and then follow in real time to make sure that they are functioning safely for, as you say, their employees and their customers? What's the data markers? Absolutely. So the data we need to pay attention to, we've been helping employers with, uh, it's very local, right? Um, there's a, a, a metric called r not, um, and it stands for uh, essentially a, uh, a method for tracking how uh, communicative a virus or a pandemic may be, right? And so, for instance, early on, uh, studies uh, from Los Alamos um, uh, uh, National, Inst uh, National Institute uh, looked at uh, SARS-CoV-2, and they saw 2.2 was the r not. Um, compare that to um, SARS back in 2003, which was 3.5. And this number is made up of literally the number of contacts one individual has and potentially spreads uh, the, the pandemic or the virus. And so uh, from a local standpoint, we got to know what the local transmission uh, is in your in your uh, location. And that's going to help predict to what level you need to protect your workers, protect the patrons and what uh, me um, measures you need to have in place. So uh, look local, ask, you know, partnership with the local uh, uh, community uh, health department, the county health department, the state health department. These are going to be key factors in understanding the levels of protection necessary. The, the, the number that you describe is basically a multiplier. Uh, the, in other words, one person who has the illness is going to affect 2.2 additional people. Is, am I understanding that correctly? More or less. You can distill it down to that uh, simplistically. Absolutely. And if you look at uh, pre-publication study out of Yale, uh, they looked at state by state. What's that R value, that R not, right? Uh, and in states like hotbed, mm -hmm. like New York, the, the value was six, over six. Right. Compared to, um, right. you know, like I said, 2.2 early on. And so uh, really focusing in on what's the local transmission, how do we put layers in? And 
the, the plan and the onerous uh, uh, nature of it, it's not too bad, right? Uh, we're, we, we are talking about social Dr. distancing, Harris? the base. Uh-huh. Can you hear me? Well, I was just going to say, we, 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 I thought you were finishing there. We appreciate your time tonight. Have a great weekend. Thank you for participating. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You bet. Fantastic. All right. A lot more ahead on this CNBC special report. Who is policing all the bars and restaurants to make sure they're complying with rules and regulations? Meet one man behind the effort next. And the coach many call the best in the USA on what he's doing to get his kids ready to play as the virus rages in his state. First, our country on Thursday night, July 2nd, 2020. horizon for financial markets at pgim it's a question that over 1400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals specialized across asset classes but united in collaboration our teams provide global and local expertise our investments shape tomorrow today pursue your tomorrow with pgim a leading global asset manager On day 186 of the crisis, here are some more headlines on the virus tonight. Miami police will now issue fines to people who don't wear a mask in public. The University of Southern California reversing course now says it recommends all undergrads take classes online in the fall. And former presidential candidate Herman Cain has been hospitalized with the virus in Atlanta. He attended last week's rally in Tulsa for President Trump and was photographed not wearing a mask. Well, Florida's Broward County has created a website to help catch businesses that aren't complying with coronavirus regulations. Lenny Valpando is the deputy director of the county's Environmental Protection and Growth Management Department, and he joins us now. Mr. Valpando, welcome. Good to have you with us. You have a website, basically, that uh, categorizes or collects complaints from citizens, also complaints that have come in over a 311 line. How long has this been operating and how many complaints have you gotten? So it started about a month ago and uh, we've gotten 2,200 complaints as of uh, this afternoon and uh, about uh, 400 citations or so. And so when you get a complaint, what is the tip? What is the typical complaint about? It's about noncompliance with with what? So basically, when we started the uh, phase one reopening back in the end of May, we knew that we had to instill restrictions to try to protect public safety, but allow people to resume some sense of normalcy. And that includes social distancing, capacity limits, wearing masks, sanitation requirements for wiping down surfaces. But we knew that if people weren't following those criteria, that we could potentially increase the spread. And so we needed to come up with a mechanism so that people could have one phone number they could call, which is 311, 
to let us know if a business is not complying. And then within 24 hours, a city inspector goes out, investigates the complaint, issues a warning or a citation. Uh, the building could be shut down for 24 hours, um, fined up to $15,000. And uh, we basically are just trying to make sure that um, people are able to go out safely, that they can see where things aren't being complied with. And also, um, in order to protect businesses mm -hmm. from maybe somebody who might be disgruntled, uh, we do have a system where if the uh, city goes out and finds out that the business is um, not violating the rules, that they are in compliance, then um, those complaints actually disappear from the uh, public-facing system. So, two questions. Are the complaints anonymous? Um, they are typically anonymous. People can use uh, my Broward app to submit them. They can uh, phone them into 311. They do not have to give their name. Uh, they give a short description, the location of the business, and then within 24 hours, the city goes out. And like I said, we sort of weed out the, um, the invalid complaints by uh, removing them from the system if for some reason they're not founded. So, yeah, if, you, if the complaints aren't legit, uh, either because maybe, as you say, there's a, there's a disgruntled employer, a disgruntled customer who wants to uh, sandbag somebody's business, they can do that. Are you able, really, with 2,200 complaints, have you been able to follow up on every single one of them? So the majority of them have been followed up on. The cities are actually doing a really good job. There's 31 municipalities in Broward County, and uh, their, you know, their code enforcement teams are dedicated. The county also has a team of inspectors that we loan out to the cities and we're actually working nights and weekends and helping them uh, track down the complaints as well as go to high traffic areas to try to make sure that the rules are being complied with. Mr. Valpando, uh, thank you for your business tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Take care. And a lot more ahead tonight. In Texas, high school football is king. When we come back, the coach many consider to be the nation's best on what he's doing to keep his program moving forward in the age of coronavirus. And we actually opened up the stadium and we became the largest golf coast open air restaurant. A field of dreams with no baseball. That's two minutes away. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Football practice is underway in Texas. Tonight, one top coach's plan to protect his kids. Plus, an incredible success story. A store just for personal protective equipment. Once again, here's Tyler Matheson. Well, in Texas, as you probably know, football is big. High school football, really big. And practice has already started for some schools, getting ready for those famous Friday night lights. But things will be different this year because of the virus. Reginald Samples is the head coach of Duncanville High School in Texas, voted All-USA Coach of the Year by USA Today last year. Coach, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank, thank you for having me. What have you been doing with your team this summer? Have you been having uh, off-season workouts uh, so far, and, and how is it, has it been different? 
Yes, we are having workouts, and uh, it's very difficult because we are under a lot of guidelines, and it's been very uh, required a lot of organization and planning among the coaching staff in order to keep the kids safe. Will the season go on, and will fans be in the stands? Well, that's a question that I don't, I can't answer right now. Uh, as you know, uh, the numbers for the virus is going up uh, in our state, and the requirements are changing, and guidelines are changing. Just today, our governor uh, mandated wearing masks, so I'm hoping we're going to have see, uh, the season, but uh, it's still up in the air. Let's talk about some of the things that I see you're doing at Duncanville, where you've had an amazing record of success, and, and in other schools as well. They must maintain the players' social distancing, wear masks at indoor facilities, clean their equipment, workouts must be done in small groups, you're screening the players for temperature, doing temperature checks and so forth, and they conduct their own tests if they show any, any system. How do you maintain social distancing at football practice, Coach? Well, uh, everything that we do, uh, we require them to uh, remain in the social distance. Uh, one of the ways that we're doing it is we're working our strength and conditioning in small numbers. So the smaller numbers allow us to manage the distancing a lot better. So small numbers enables you to do this. So I'm, I'm, I'm inferring from what you just said that you haven't begun any kind of contact drills yet. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we're not even allowed to do one-on-one -on -one coverages. Our offensive and defensive units, they cannot line up against each other. So everything that we're doing is on the air, spaced out. It's, it's all spaced out. Now, is that, is that a new regulation from COVID, or is that part of the usual uh, regimen that you're following at this time of the year anyway, sort of a non-contact thing? But is that new no, to COVID? These, these are guidelines for our governing association. Uh, right after, about three weeks ago, they gave us a list of guidelines of how we have to conduct our practices, how everything has to go in. We're trying to follow those guidelines to the left. How big is your school? Uh, how many kids are on your team? We, our school, we have 4,700 kids in our school. We have about 250 players on our, in our, uh, on our football program that's uh, 9 through 12. 250 players on your program. How do you get them all playing time, Coach? Well, we actually have a A and B freshman team. We have an A and B junior varsity team. And then we, we limit our varsity team until about uh, the number of about 70 players. Most of the numbers are on our under team. Well, we appreciate your time tonight, Coach Reginald Samples of Duncanville High School. Keep up the good work. Good luck. I hope you get the season in. My son is a freshman in high school, and he is starting to play this year. He is so keeping his fingers crossed that there's football here in New Jersey uh, this fall. We'll find out. Coach Samples, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, no baseball, though. So, 
You, you got it. No baseball, though, so far, and that's a big revenue loss for minor league teams and the towns that they call home. Tonight, how the president of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos is adapting, shifting, and succeeding in Florida. We worked so hard to get the baseball season announced, like, oh, work hard again and figure out what, what business you're in today. Our top line revenue was $8 million. We're not going to have $8 million this year. I'm hoping to make about a million dollars this year. And overall, the bottom line, we're hoping to, this sounds bad, hoping to only lose $3 million this year as a minor league baseball team. We have a pretty large restaurant here at 5,000. So we actually opened up the stadium and we became the largest Gulf Coast open air restaurant. We also put the minor league entertainment into it. You came out, you had Dizzy Bat, you had the racing mascots, you had all of that stuff. Oh, and by the way, you had dinner at the ballpark. Every week we're having kind of brain sessions of what can we be next. Um, and this one was actually with the owner and his daughter and said, well, what about Airbnb? It could be like Cinderella's Castle. And I'm like, absolutely it can. So then it was, how do we do this? Is it legal? Can you do this? We went and bought bunk beds and linens and, you know, towels. And you're able to have 10 people come out for $1,500 during the week. And you're able to pretty much own the stadium. You're able to hit on the field. You're able to hit in the batting cages. And you can even upgrade and do things like walk-up music or have a movie night or fireworks. We're sold out pretty much every night up until, uh, I think, the end of July birthday parties, bachelor parties. We had people come from Nebraska. We've had people come from Kansas. So if we can get people to come to Pensacola and help our community, why not? Local high schools have reached out to us and they were looking for that outside venue safe space. So we were able to broadcast the graduations as well, which was a huge thing for those people that have the older grandparents and they were able to walk across the you know field and be able to get their diploma and do that just meant so much to the family. We have realized how much we're not doing with the ballpark in our business besides baseball. Now we know we can do baseball and do events in between and really knock it out of the park for the fun. Those events and making memories for families here in our community. And that's really what we're trying to do. And then hopefully the revenue comes with that. As I tell everybody, every week, we don't know what business we're in, but we're going to figure it out. And that was Pensacola Blue Wahoos President Jonathan Griffith, and that is American Ingenuity. By breaking news to tell you about Miami-Dade County announcing it will have a 10 p.m. curfew until 6 a.m. That will start tomorrow evening. The county also rolling back the reopening of movie theaters, concert centers, bowling alleys, and other entertainment centers. So Miami-Dade buttoning it up. A lot more ahead tonight. He saw a need and built a store. Now, it's all PPE all the time. And what's it like to own a fireworks company when events from coast to coast are pouring cold water on his once-a-year big event? First, our world on day 186 of the pandemic.
Welcome back, everybody. Many July 4th fireworks exhibits are show, uh, canceled this year. Tonight, the chairman of one company, George Zambelli Jr., in his own words. Annually, Zambelli Fireworks does in the neighborhood of 2,000 shows. Um, we've had approximately 80% of the shows canceled, uh, especially the week of the 4th of July. So uh, it, it's been a big impact on the company. There's no revenue or very little revenue coming in. And who would ever thought that? Um, I often, like my father always did, turn around and, and look at the faces on the children, the oohs and ahs. And um, that really gives us inspiration to come up with new ideas, new creative uh, designs. We're going to meet on a weekly basis to see uh, what changes possibly will need made. And um, we're looking forward to uh, continuing and doing what we need to do to keep the Zambelli fireworks magic in the sky. Well, retail fireworks sales are booming, by the way, as you have probably heard in your neighborhood. Zambelli urges anyone shooting off fireworks to wear goggles have water nearby and don't do it ever in the and do it in the open, never near a structure and never near trees. And remember, of course, alcohol and fireworks do not mix. Well, as businesses across the country struggle to stay afloat, a business owner just outside of Baltimore in Elk Ridge, Maryland, decided to have his business do a complete 360. He started a store just for personal protective equipment. Chris McCormick is the co-founder of Shield Pals, and he, well, he joins us now. Chris, welcome. Good to have you with us. You made a move into, into, into manufacturing and then retailing personal protective equipment, but that had nothing to do with what your business was before this, right? No, sir. No, sir. Uh, we you were, made you were in the marketing events environments. Correct. Yeah, and that uh, industry took a pretty hard hit. Um, so we were and so getting how do you go from do... staging how do you go from staging events to manufacturing face shields and and the like necessity what made you think you could um, do it um, we we had the equipment we build cool stuff all the time uh, we're problem solvers this is just another problem uh, we watched uh, Governor Cuomo's press uh, conference and they said how badly they needed uh, PPE equipment we have gear here and the equipment to do fabric graphics and to machine our parts. And we just took that equipment and utilized it in a different uh, manner. And it took off very quickly. Is you, we're seeing some face shields here. I gather you had to lay off a lot of your employees from the events business uh, abruptly. Have you been able to rehire many of them? Or is this oh, a completely everybody. different skill set? No, we have everybody back. We had everybody back in about two weeks. Um, and then we've increased from about 23, 24 employees to a little over 100 uh, building gowns and face shields. What does the revenue look like? I mean, has it replaced the revenue uh, that you that you've lost in the in the events business? And, and is that revenue coming back at all? Um, it hasn't replaced what we had lost. It definitely offsets. Um it will allow us to get through uh, what we're going, you know, this downturn in the event industry. Um, and hopefully long term, we keep running uh, with this and have both companies running tandem. Uh, 
but yeah, so, and the event industry is starting to come back online a little bit. It's different. Um, we're doing things yep. differently, but we are starting to do events. Yeah. There are a lot the, more Let's talk a little bit about the re. Right. Of course, that's what that's what we're doing at CNBC with our events business. We do a lot more online and, and uh, via Zoom and Vimeo and other things like that. And it's it, it, it works on one level and you can aggregate maybe bigger audiences that way. But it it loses the face to face part of it. Talk to me a little bit about your retail operation. Do you have a storefront somewhere that people can come in and buy we do. this protective equipment? Do you sell it online? What? We sell it online at uh, shieldpals.com, but we worked with our partners at Brookfield Properties and specifically the Columbia um, Mall. And we thought, hey, part of the opening process and to get people to feel more comfortable, let's bring a store uh, that people can come in and get uh, protective equipment to reintegrate back into public spaces. Uh, so using yes. our uh, knowledge of, of event fabrication, we kind of you know, took that and applied it to the retail business. So we built all the. How the is that going? What's the, what's the foot traffic like? What's the it's, foot traffic like? How's it going? For us, from our perspective, it's going very well. Uh, we had no real retail experience uh, to compare it to. And there isn't really a model to compare a PPE store that we know of to even start to, to judge that. Uh, we are doing very well. Um, it, it's been received very positively and we just you know every morning we wake up with a set of challenges and we do whatever we can to right. you know make an impact on them quick quick final question and quick answer who are your customers uh online it's health systems um school systems it's individuals it's really anybody we sell from you know ones and twos up to 100,000 units. Uh, it's government. It's right. really anybody right now. Interesting. Well, you were you are a master at making a quick turn, my friend. Chris McCormick, <laughs> thank you very much. Con thank continue. you, sir. Good luck. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you, you. You bet. Tonight's top stories are next. On day 186 of the coronavirus crisis, here are the latest headlines at this hour. The economy added nearly 5 million jobs in June, with the unemployment rate falling to just above 11 percent. The Texas governor, Greg Abbott, has issued a statewide order that masks now must be worn in public. Stocks end the week higher. Today, the Dow rose 92 points and the Nasdaq closed at yet another record. And the breaking news in just a short time ago, Miami-Dade now has issued a curfew that will start tomorrow night at 10 p.m. and run through the evenings until 6 a.m. For Scott Wapner, for our entire production team, and for all of us at CNBC, I'm Tyler Matheson. Have a safe and healthy holiday weekend. Shark Tank is next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.